Some cases involve more questions than answers, and that's certainly true with the case of the missing four-year-old Paulette Gabara Ferra. Confusion, contradictions, and seemingly improbable conclusion of Paulette's disappearance makes it one of the most enduring mysteries of our time. How did a four-year-old get trapped in her bed? How could she decompose for nine days as people gathered, searched, and even slept inches away from her body? The answers led to an avalanche of more questions. Questions almost as haunting as the fact that the missing child was right under their noses for nine days. Or was she? Thanks for watching True Crime Recaps. I'm Chris. Born at just 24 weeks, Paulette Gabara Farah had a tough start, and her premature birth caused developmental disabilities. By the time she was four, Paulette could speak only a few words and could not walk without assistance. Luckily, her family was wealthy. They had round-the-clock assistance from two nannies and could afford Paulette's costly physical therapy. Paulette and her family, mom Lizette, dad Mauricio, and seven-year-old sister, also named Lizette, all lived in a high-rise in an affluent area just outside Mexico City. On the evening of March 21, 2010, Paulette returned home from a weekend trip to the lake with her father and her sister. Her mother had taken a trip of her own, but by 9 p.m. Sunday, everyone was back home. Mom put both girls to bed, later recalling she kissed Paulette on the forehead as she tucked her pink patchwork quilt around her. The following day, the family's two nannies, Sister Erica and Martha Casimiro, got the younger Lizette ready for school. At around 8 a.m., Erica went to wake Paulette up for preschool, but to her surprise, the girl who could not walk unassisted was nowhere to be found. Erica and Martha searched high and low, though there are discrepancies over who joined the initial search. The nannies claim they were the ones looking, while Mother Lizette says she also helped. The search moved out of the apartment into other parts of the building and beyond. The nannies inquired with neighbors, looked in elevators, and scoured the grounds. Eventually, Mauricio was notified and returned home to join the search. It's interesting to note that Paulette's parents did not immediately alert authorities. Instead, it was Mauricio's concerned sister who notified local police. Straight away, several things stood out in Paulette's disappearance. There were no signs of forced entry to the home. There were no signs of disturbance. Though the property had surveillance, there was no indication that the little girl was taken from the building. But one of the most significant aspects of her disappearance was the massive attention it received. The Mexican Attorney General stepped in almost immediately, which caught the public's attention right away. After all, countless children go missing in Mexico each year, but few get the attention they desperately need. On one hand, the public was horrified by the story of the four-year-old child who vanished from her bed in the night. But on the other hand, they were curious as to why an affluent family's child seemed more valuable than all the rest. Soon, billboards, posters, and newspaper ads were everywhere. Paulette's mother gave interview after interview, inviting reporters into her daughter's room, even sitting on her bed as she told her story. Over the next week, as many as a hundred people entered the family home. Why? Because it was never formally declared a crime scene. Lizette pleaded publicly with anyone who might be involved in her child's abduction, but kidnapping seemed unlikely for several reasons. There was no note, no phone call, no ransom demand. Why would a kidnapper take a little girl who required constant care without making their expectations known? In short, 
Paulette's disappearance didn't make any sense, and Lizette's numerous public appearances brought a new wave of skepticism and criticism. The public and the authorities saw her as cold, disconnected from her emotions, and unconcerned. Adding fuel to the fire, the family's nannies told stories about their employers looking calm and unbothered, mulling around casually in the hours after Paulette's disappearance. While the nannies were frantic and saw the situation as urgent, they felt like Paulette's parents were eerily calm. Both nannies were questioned extensively, along with mom and dad. Ratcheting up the already rampant doubt and suspicion, the attorney general revealed the following about Paulette's parents and nannies. Each one of them, at a certain moment, have falsified their statements, which has made it difficult to know the truth of the facts. So, the plot thickens. Nine days after the disappearance, everyone in the house was sent to a hotel and placed under a restriction order. Investigators planned a reenactment inside the apartment, hoping to discover new information, theories, or possibilities. What they discovered will shock you. At around 2 a.m., they found Paulette's body. She was wedged at the foot of her bed between the mattress and frame, wrapped in sheets and blankets. But what happened after that is even more confusing. The autopsy ruled Paulette's death accidental, citing asphyxiation as the cause. The consensus was that she had somehow wiggled between her bed frame and mattress, gotten stuck, and suffocated. What? Really? If you're flabbergasted at that conclusion, you're not alone. The nannies doubted her death was an accident. Both seemed confident Paulette's body was not at the end of the bed for the entire nine days. Martha publicly said, I looked in the bathroom, under the bed, and in the closet, and saw that she was not there. Her sister Erica added, I think we would have noticed since thousands of people came to look for her. The bed was made. I never saw the mattress pulled back. I did not see a bundle or anything. It does not make sense to me that the body could have been there since Monday. Indeed, it does seem unlikely. Cadaver dogs had been in and out of Paulette's room. And since cadaver dogs can sniff out human remains that are years old buried under layers of earth, it's difficult to imagine they would fail to detect Paulette's body in her own bed. To make it even stranger, Paulette's bed was used in the days following her disappearance. In fact, Lizette's longtime friend even slept in the bed for a few nights and claimed she never noticed any kind of obstruction. And certainly didn't see a little girl's body. The nannies made the bed multiple times, even changing the bedding, and people slept in it and sat on the bed during that time. When Paulette's body was found, it was already decomposing. Yet none of the dozens of people who went in and out of her room ever caught a whiff of death. Another curious, if not far-fetched theory revolves around the discovery of Paulette's body. In a leaked video, investigators can be seen and heard finding her. They seem unsurprised, well-prepared, and almost scripted in their response. People wondered, why was a reenactment performed at 2 a.m. when investigators had access to the apartment four hours beforehand? Experts seem to agree that the video does not show the original discovery. It was most likely a reenactment after the actual event. The question was, why? But that wasn't the only question that dogged the investigation. Knowing that a young child had gone missing, why was the apartment never treated as a crime scene? Why were dozens of people allowed in and out of the house destroying potential evidence and clues? 
As people tried desperately to make sense of an improbable series of events, a number of theories arose. The first peculiar element of the story was her mother's general demeanor. Both casual observers and law enforcement saw Lizette as cold and detached. She did not appear to have a sense of urgency after her daughter's disappearance. She gave a lot of interviews, but her tone didn't resonate with the public as sincere or heartfelt. A specialist even commented, that she likely had a personality disorder. Many speculated that her daughter's need for constant care and expensive treatment could have strained the family. People wondered if Lizette, Mauricio, or both might be capable of harming her to relieve themselves of an overwhelming burden. But here's why that's probably not the case. The family was wealthy, and they had plenty of help in the form of nannies and doctors. Further, Paulette was a very pleasant, non-demanding, well-behaved child who, by all accounts, was making significant progress. Other theories centered around a staged kidnapping. Was the family hoping for sympathy and financial donations, but something went horribly wrong? There were whispers that they weren't as well off as they seemed at first glance. Still, others wondered if Paulette had died accidentally and her panicked parents had tried to cover it up. In a leaked recording, Lizette can be heard telling her older daughter not to say anything about Paulette's disappearance. When the girl asked why, Lizette replied, because otherwise they will blame us for stealing her or that you took her away to be stolen. The warning seemed peculiar and inappropriate, making it sound like the family had something to hide. And telling her young daughter she could be blamed for Paulette's disappearance seemed needlessly cruel and frightening. Lizette tried to argue that the comment was taken out of context, but the damage was already done. It sounded like a desperate statement made by someone with a lot to lose. And even her own husband had doubts about his wife's innocence, even though the coroner had already labeled the death a tragic accident. In a Televisa network interview, Mauricio shocked the world by saying, The only thing I can say is that for me, it wasn't an accident. I can only speak for myself. In her own Televisa Network interview, a distraught Lizette replied, They have played a lot with our minds. Maybe he didn't have enough trust in me, because I have never doubted him. Lizette also claimed her brother-in-law offered her $500,000 to leave the country, and her husband requested that she not attend the funeral. In the end, a tearful Lizette did go to Paulette's funeral, but Mauricio didn't. The rift in the family further fueled public speculation that something was off about Paulette's death. Paulette's parents have since divorced, with Lizette getting custody of Paulette's sister. The case is officially closed, but the questions and speculation remain. A famous detective once said, I work for the dead. But in a case where everyone seemed to have their own best interests in mind, who was working for four-year-old Paulette Gabara Farah? Was anyone trying to find the truth of what happened, no matter how awful, inconvenient, or cruel? And did they ever find that truth, or did they settle on something easy instead? Was Paulette really at the end of her bed for nine days, tucked between the mattress and footboard, just out of sight? Is it possible to make and unmake a bed, change the sheets, and sleep in it without noticing the body of a four-year-old girl? Was it really a terrible, strange accident that defies logic? Or was something much more sinister at play? The answers are scarce and unsatisfying. A young girl, born too soon, gone too soon, forever shrouded in mystery and etched in our memories. Her case haunts us because 
no answer is a good answer. Hers is either a story of accidental, unavoidable tragedy or one of ultimate, unthinkable betrayal. Most likely, the truth will remain forever between Paulette, her mother, and the four silent walls that saw it all. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button and the bell so you never miss a story. We're here Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays, but don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.